So if you've heard the name of my guest today, Stedman Graham, there's a pretty decent chance that it's been offered in the same sentence with his longtime life partner, Oprah Winfrey. What's not often told is Stedman's own deeply compelling personal story. His path from small town kid to basketball phenom who actually played in the European leagues to executive and eventually founder of his own consulting firm. Really over the last uh, two decades or so, Stedman has become deeply fascinated with the exploration of identity, how we discover it, how we validate and then build our lives around our identities and contribute to the world and become leaders from a place of deep personal alignment with our most essential selves. And he's developed his ideas over that window of time into a teachable framework that's really pretty fascinating and that he shares in his latest book, Identity Leadership. In today's conversation, we explore Stedman's remarkable journey, his personal evolution and awakenings, and why he believes with all of his heart that we are at a moment in time now where we need leaders more than ever and why leadership is very much an inside game. So excited to share this conversation with you. I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Good Life Project. The show is sponsored by meditation app, 10% Happier. So the app, it comes with courses that they teach you how to stress better, deal with difficult emotions, and build healthier habits. I love that the material is entertaining and relatable. The host, New York Times bestselling author, Dan Harris, he's funny, he's real, he's vulnerable, and he's teamed up with some of the world's best meditation teachers to show you how meditation helps kind of smooth out some of life's wrinkles using cutting-edge science and hard-won experience to demonstrate the tangible benefits that meditation can have. And listeners of Good Life Project get 40% off. Just go to 10percent.com slash goodlife. That's 10% all spelled out, T-E-N-P-E-R-C-E-N-T dot com slash goodlife. And if you aren't ready to meditate just yet, but are curious how smart, ambitious people use meditation and benefit from it, well then check out the 10% Happier podcast. Either way, you can find it all at 10percent.com slash goodlife. Good Life Project is supported by HubSpot. Complex enterprise software, it shouldn't get in the way of launching your next campaign. That is why HubSpot built the new marketing hub enterprise. So say goodbye to countless hours of software management. Their platform offers the power and flexibility that scaling companies need to succeed with the ease of use that you expect. So you match every customer interaction to revenue, use AI to test and optimize, and create more personal personalized experiences. Plus, you can integrate HubSpot with hundreds of other tools and apps. So stop managing your outdated and overly complex software and start creating remarkable customer experiences. Learn more about the new features in Marketing Hub Enterprise at hubspot.com slash Wondery. That's hubspot.com slash Wondery. So good to be spending time with you. So um, it's kind of interesting. I did a little bit of uh, research um, when I was uh, looking up your background, right. obviously reading uh, your latest. So you grew up in a town in New Jersey, um, Whitesboro, New Jersey, which going back, what I discovered is it was uh, it seems like it was 
the town was created right around the turn of the 20th century, like right around 19, 1901, 1902, almost as a, like a refuge for communities of color from Cape May and from North Carolina. Yeah. Uh, actually, uh, Congress, Congressman George H. White was a member of our family. Oh, uh, no kidding. And which is why how we got up there. My father got up there. My mom got up there. And uh, relatives of ours, they first invited our family up there and then built it from there. So uh, he wanted to create an African-American community where people could create their own businesses and their own opportunities and feel somewhat insulated from all of the oppressive systems and stuff around. So uh, great idea. Still around. Yeah, um, and you grew up there, I guess it would have been the uh, 50s, early 60s is when you were there. Yeah, I was grew up in, I was born in 1951. Yeah. Right, so what was it like there growing up? Just like, what was your experience? Well, you know, pretty much, you know, all black town, surrounded by White County and all of that. And, uh, you know, we had segregated schools there, a school, schoolhouse. And uh, it was great because we always felt like this it was a safe haven and you didn't have to worry about all the stuff that you know was based on color and race and the teachers there taught us to be twice as good and and when I say that they worked hard to make sure you were prepared because the school went to the I think the eighth grade mm. then after that we went to the high school and an integrated high school so the teacher was like, we're going to make sure that you're prepared when you go to that high school up there, you can do a good job. And they did a fantastic job of preparing uh, the majority of students who went to Middle Township, making sure that they could be where they were competitive. Yeah. You also came from a fairly big family, from what I know. Yeah, I have a big family tree. I'm part of the Spalding descendants. Uh, we have, man, we probably have 1,400 on our database, <laughs> you know, which is a lot. And we have our own reunions every two years. And we're from Lake Waccamaw, North Carolina. Came up from that Columbus County. And so a lot of our relatives are from that place. And, you know, this, we have a lot of land down there that we own and all of that. So we've been able to, throughout the years, you know, support each other and maintain and establish a tribe of folks. And so it's been pretty good. Yeah. It's beautiful to go back down there and spend time and, I do some work there as well as doing work in my community. Um, I'm in Whitesboro, New Jersey. So we started the Concerned Citizens. I was one of the founders. And uh, we've been doing that since 30 years to kind of carry on the legacy of George H. White to help develop the community in terms of education and take care of senior citizens and programs and uh, educational programs and all of that, you know, success and preparing people for success in that community, yeah. giving scholarships away and all of that. I would imagine it's a pretty, I mean, so we're talking 50, 60, 70 years, 60, 60 years ago now. I would imagine it's a pretty different town now. I mean, when you go back now, has it substantially changed? Well, we, we basically saved the town because, you know, I went back uh, about 30 years ago. It was basically drug infested, it was coming drug infested and all of that because, you know, a lot of the development wasn't there and all of that. So people were leaving, didn't come back, that kind of thing. And 
when I say drug infested, I don't say real drug infested. I'm just saying that you know kids start hanging out in the corner, you know that kind of thing. And so, recognizing that, I went and organized um, a group of people to include the ministers and some teachers and all of that. And we worked together to kind of turn it around, and we have turned it around. You know, with the concerned citizens, as the guy that runs it now named Bernie Blanks, uh, you know, has done a fantastic job, and Cheryl Spaulding and a bunch of other board members and all. And throughout the years, we've had different leadership throughout the years. And so it's really, you know, it really makes a difference when you're able to represent your own community. You know, it's kind of an ad hoc committee and that meets often and uh, talks about policy and works with the uh, Cape May County officials to that local market to figure out what is needed. So we build a community center there. Cost us $1.4 million to, to build that. We sidewalks and roads and, you know, just new improvements. We didn't have running water through there. We had well water when I was growing up. We got running water through there. We got street lights and sidewalks, you know, all the things you think a community would have, but we're able to, you know, turn a lot of those policies around and make a difference in the community. So it does make a difference when you, you know, take control of your own development. Yeah. So when you're growing up there, what happens when you hit eighth grade and you go from sort of like developing in this sort of like being raised in one particular way in one community, then all of a sudden you're moved into this fully integrated school. What's that like for you? Well, you stand out and you're trying to assimilate at the same time and you're trying to make sure you're as good as anybody else. You are aware of that. And so... It's a little bit of chip on your shoulder a little bit, you know. And then, you know, I grew up with a lot of anger and rage uh, because I had two uh, special needs brothers in my family and a low self-esteem and lack of confidence in myself. So, you you know, you're already kind of mad. And then you have this negative feeling about who you are, you know, your image and all that. So when you go to... Um, another school and you're trying to be competitive in that marketplace, you're trying to figure out how to actually fit in through that process. So um, it helps to be prepared. It helps to be able to read well and, you know, be somewhat highly skilled in education, which we were prepared to do. So we were very competitive in the marketplace. So you're not feeling like, you know, you're left out. You can actually compete in the classroom. Yeah. Was that, I mean, it's also um, like purely from a, the lens of race. Obviously, you know, you know, like, because you're growing up in a town where everyone is really similar and you're about to move into this other environment. Did that become much more sort of like in your face, forward facing and force you to navigate uh, in a completely different way? Well, you just became the best you could possibly be be in whatever you're involved in. I was involved in a lot of different activities. Yeah. You know, I was a basketball player, so I stood out. You know, it's probably one of the, you know, standout basketball players in the in the county there. You know, uh, so that helps help me anyway. You know, I was a treasurer of my freshman class. Uh, started a, a organization called Betterment through Understanding BTU. Uh, I was in the band. You know, I was a drum major in the band and all. So, you know, you try to do things that, that kind of make you stand out and you 
Uh, when I when we grew up in a little town, Weisboro, New Jersey, of course, we had a lot of leadership uh, skills because they they made sure that we were you know skilled in, in leadership abilities because they put us in charge of a lot of things, the Boy Scouts, you know, choir, usher board, all of that. So you were used to leading. And uh, it's great to grow up in a town like that early on because you have an image of who you can be. Hmm. And you don't doubt yourself and you're, you, know, you don't play small because you didn't grow up that way. Because you had to be competitive in the town. You live in an all-black town. You know, you, you're competitive with everybody. Uh, and so you just, you know, all sports, you know, you're good. Everybody played sports. It was very special to be able to grow up as a child, uh, as a young person in that town, because it gave me a stronger foundation, which I use today as a way to kind of navigate through the, the 21st century and some of the obstacles that you have to deal with growing up and all of that. Yeah. And it sounds like, I mean, basketball was a huge part of your life and you're very modest in stating your accomplishments, but, uh, you are from all accounts, you know, extraordinary. Um, and it sounds like you also had your eye on playing for UCLA at one point. Yeah. Um, basketball was, it was my savior. Mm. I mean, because I was mad and angry and I had a lot of rage. And so, you know, if you know anything about the law of attraction, whatever you put out comes back. So I had a lot of rage and anger and basketball was my outlet for it. And it also was my carried me out of the community through junior college and college and all of that. UCLA was, um, you know, I was uh, recruited by uh, been Wooden, Denny, Com Denny Crome was the assistant coach and uh, John Wooden was, right. the, was the coach there. So I got a chance to go out there and I was supposed to go to JC, junior college first, which I went for a year. After two years, tr transfer out to UCLA and and after the first year, they dropped the program in the junior college. So I went to Detroit, and so that didn't work out so well. And then I went to Hardin Simmons University in Abilene, Texas. And uh, from there, um, that worked out pretty good. And I graduated, you know, because I was really focused on graduating college. And so, you know, it was a great experience for me to have those experiences of coming from a small town and then going to. California and UCLA and seeing the campus and playing with some of the guys, you know, out there uh, who were extraordinary ball players, and then be able to go to Texas and deal with that and then go to Detroit and then go to Hardin Simmons and be in Abilene. So it was really, uh, it was really pretty special. I have to tell you, I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. What was your, I mean, coming out of Hardin Simmons, was your aspiration at that point to see if you could go pro and um, be in the NBA? Or were you sort of like, okay, so this is a chapter of my life. It was amazing, but let me start to look forward at something different. Well, um, it was kind of a chapter of my life. And, uh, and I always look forward. And I was just glad to be able to graduate from Harden-Simmons and, uh, and then be able to, you know, I went to the Army, played European Pro League there was in the army at the same time so i traveled all the way oh, so that know. happened at the same time I yeah happened at the that. same time yeah most people don't know that so it's you're actually, asking the right questions my brother yeah you're actually in the army and then simultaneously playing in the european league yeah playing the european league over no there kidding. you know so i was traveling around and everything i really was and i was going getting my master's at the same time at ball state so because uh, i wanted to make up for my uh 
you know, lack of opportunity. If I was going to go into service, I wanted to make the service work for me. So what I did was I was able to do all those things, and uh, it really paid off a lot for me. So I enjoyed that a lot, and it gave me a strong base. So all of this was kind of the build where I am today. You know, I think of when I think of identity leadership. You know, again, identity leader leadership is self leadership. You know, based on the philosophy that you can't lead anybody else until you first lead yourself. So it's all self. So all the work I've done throughout my life is to try to learn about self for myself, but also realizing that there's a process for success. And, you know, with identity leadership being self-leadership, I can also help other people self-actualize their potential as a, as a human being. So I created this nine-step success process, which, um, you know, allows people to figure out how, how to work on their purpose, their identity, find their identity first, and then self-actualize a process that, that will help them define their existence, you know, throughout this journey and these steps and this framework that helps them create self-mastery. And I always had that attitude about myself. And, you know, you said it well, you know, when you're asking me these questions, you kind of set it up because it all started in the Whitesboro trying to be twice as good as anybody else and having that mindset, which allowed me really to be where I am today with the book. So I never realized that until just now. So thank you so much for that. <laughs> it's just fascinating to me. Um, you know, cause you are, it seems like you've been so driven from the earliest days and, you know, you could point to a combination of proving yourself. You could point to a combination of rage and unfairness based on what happened to your siblings but somehow, wherever it came from, you know, like there's a fierce sense of work ethic. You know, like I need to show up and put my head down and work incredibly hard to get to this place, even if I don't know exactly what it is quite yet. I know where I am now isn't where it needs to be. Even to the extent that, you know, like I had no idea. I didn't realize that you were actually, you're in the Army, you're playing pro ball in Europe and pursuing your master simultaneously. I mean, any one of those things. <laughs> is a heavy lift. Is a well. heavy lift, yeah. You know, it's a heavy lift. To do those yeah. all at the same time. I mean, I'm curious too, because when you talk about the Army, you talk about getting a master's in education from what you call, right? Like that's, it, it's almost like those are, the, a huge amount of that is about instilling structure, training structure and frameworks. Yes. Tell me about your relationship to sort of like learning that type of uh that process and, and the, the structure and the framework and sort of looking at the world, learning how to look at the world that way? Well, uh, you know, I was always um, a pretty driven person because I had to break the cycle or stand out my family. So to take responsibility because, you know, I've got siblings who I had to take care of and all of that. And uh, I had to try to prove that we were just as good as anybody else based on race, but also based on family. So I had to overcome the labels of that being teased and kind of bullied today. They call it bully, but back then we were just being teased and fight every single day, you know, because you're, you're trying to, you know, overcome the bulliness and the only way you can do it is, you know, you're fighting folks and all of that. So it was quite a traumatic experience for me. And you grow up trying to prove to people that you're okay, that you're somebody. 
And you're driven by that and driven by that and driven by that. So the drive was there, you know, and you're not going to outwork me, you know, because I'm driven so much. So putting it all in order, you know, that's why I love this identity leadership book and the process so much is because putting it into a framework, you know, that's not something I heard. It's something I lived. So I'm living the work and teaching other people how to, apply the same model and the same process for their own life. So all of that is tied together, you know, and it's tied together through my childhood and through basketball and through, you know, trying to get a degree and doing what I'm supposed to do in order to be successful because I had to to be the stand-up guy in my family. Yeah. And when you finally come back to the U.S., you also then... You owned a business, right? So you ended up in, I guess, for a short while in PR? Yeah, you know, I'm looking. I'm looking for business. Business, uh, I'm looking for that. My father was in business. I worked for him. What did he do? And he was a painter Uh. and a contractor. And uh, so I'm holding, holding the ladder for him all the time, which is if you want to, that's a tough job. You know, you got to hold the ladder so your father doesn't fall down, you know, from, from uh, the, you know, on the side of the house. So, um, you know, I did that for years, you know, just working with him and all of that and work with him after school. And on Saturday sometime, we go and do work. And so he worked, 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 and I worked with him and learned to work and loved the, the work. So, you know, all of that together just created this... Um, this kind of drive, and if you put drive with work ethic and you mm. put that with process and you put that with thinking, I was kind of missing the educational piece because I wasn't really, you know, big on, even though I could, I could read well, was educated well, I really didn't apply myself on the educational side because I was busy with ball, you know, I wanted to be a pro athlete, all of that. I'm busy with work and all of that. So the other there was really nobody to take you along and kind of tell you how this actually works, how this educational system works. So it took me a longer time to understand that. So when I discovered education and I put that together with drive, determination, perseverance, you know, and put that together with passion and purpose, man, I took off. Yeah. So when it comes to eating, I'm all about really trying to source the best ingredients. And ButcherBox makes it easy to get high quality meat that you can trust every month. ButcherBox delivers 100% grass-fed and grass-finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage breed pork, and wild Alaskan salmon directly to your door. The incredible quality of ButcherBox meats starts with a commitment to humanely raised animals that are never fed antibiotics or hormones. And ButcherBox sources pure, wild, sustainably harvested salmon from Bristol Bay, Alaska as well. And it's very affordable by taking out the middle person and purchasing directly from a collective of ranches at a lower cost and then passing those savings along to you. For the ultimate barbecue bundle absolutely free in your first butcher box plus $20 off, go to butcherbox.com goodlife or enter the promo code goodlife. That's two New York strip steaks, baby back ribs, and two pounds of ground beef free in your first box plus $20 off at butcherbox.com goodlife or enter the promo code goodlife. And you can always just click the link in the show notes. 
So maybe you've heard me talk about my experience making my own guitar. Well, if not, I made my very own guitar from scratch. It's not perfect, but I made it with my own two hands. And now I'm upping the creative and musical ante by taking a guitar masterclass or actually master classes and music theory on Skillshare. And my family, by the way, is very grateful because honestly, I'm not that good and it can get pretty tiring hearing me play the same thing over and over and over. So Skillshare is this very cool online learning community with thousands of amazing classes covering dozens of creative and entrepreneurial skills. You can take classes in everything from music, photography, and creative writing to design, productivity, and more. So whether you're returning to a long-time passion project, challenging yourself to get outside your comfort zone, or simply exploring something new, Skillshare has classes for you. And the cool thing about Skillshare is that I can do it pretty much anytime right from the computer. So join me and the millions of students already learning on Skillshare today with a special offer just for you. Get two months of Skillshare for free. Check it out. It's never too late to learn something new, especially now because Skillshare is offering Good Life Project listeners two months of unlimited access to thousands of classes for free. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash goodlife. Again, that's Skillshare.com slash goodlife to start your two months now. That's Skillshare.com slash goodlife or click the link in the show notes. When you start to figure this stuff out, right? So you're out of the house for, a, for like a chunk of time at that point. You're an adult. You're navigating your way in the world. Did you have mentors who sort of like stepped in and whether they were, quote, official mentors or whether they were just people, because to, to kind of put those pieces together, you know, as a young adult, your mid-late 20s, it's not an easy thing for any of us. I'm always curious whether there were people who touched down your life who in some way turned light bulbs on that helped with that process. Over and over and over and over. Yeah. I mean, you know, from the early uh, years of growing up in Whitesboro, over and over and over, you know, throughout my whole life. You know, the thing that I... It's interesting when you talk about mentors. You don't pick mentors. Mentors pick you. And so, you know, when I really learned about that, I realized, oh, people seek you out. You know, they want to help you. So, you know, I was, wasn't was a bad guy. You know, I was angry internally. I had a lot of anger internally, but most people wouldn't know that. But the beautiful thing about all of the mentors and people are around, we have relationships, you know, we liked each other and all of that. And so that's a very important for you to be able to, you know, be likable. And so I always tried to be likable and tried to go along with the flow. I wasn't, you know, you'd have to worry about me stealing from you or trying to hurt you or anything like that or whatever. I was always a pretty nice guy, you know. I pride myself in having manners and all of that was my mom and, you know, was always reinforced and all that. She'd be proud of me, I think, today because of the manners. It's the, it's the North Carolina courtesy side. Right, that's that, right. right. It's <laughs> the hospitality, North Carolina, Southern yeah. Sun. This is what you do. Right. And so I had that. And so you're able to build relationships and have relationships with people. And that's a huge thing. So, mm. and I was always trying and I think people saw me trying a lot. So that I had a lot of people around me and a lot of people who inspired me and from Sunday school teachers to coaches and, you know, to my, my peers and my buddies and all of that. So, man, I had a, I had a strong base and then I had a big family, yeah. you know, so I had a lot of role models in my family who were judges and lawyers and 
professors and you know all kinds of they they were involved in all kinds of profession they're very professional and very bright and smart and all and were trained that way so that was part of the Whitesboro education and the part of the the process that they had to go through in order to be able to prepare themselves for whatever they might have to deal with. Yeah. One of the things that I was surprised about, so you're navigating your way in the world, you're sort of exploring different positions, different industries, PR. Eventually you, you land um, in Chicago and you end up founding your own consulting organization. But, but sometime along the way, and it sounds like shortly before then, you end up spending time first as a prison guard and then as a director of education. And I'm, I'm curious, how do you even get exposed to that? And how does that experience change you? Like, what does it give you that allows you to move to the next place? Yeah, I think the, um, the ability to maintain any kind of status quo in the prison system takes a lot. There is no middle ground in the prison system. Either you make it or you don't make it. So it was a good training ground for me because you're around a 1,000 prisoners in this facility. You deal with all kinds of folks. And uh, either you make it or you don't make it. And like I said before, kind of a negative environment that you're in. And it can be really, really challenging to try to work through all of those obstacles because, you know, folks are coming at you all the time and, you know, you're you're a guard, started off as a guard, then went into recreation and then became a supervisor of education uh, in MCI, MCI Chicago. Uh, so it's like through that whole process, you're, again, you know, self-awareness, trying to figure out who you are, trying to align yourself, go in the right direction, trying to move up at the same time. Um, you know, it, it's it, it's a journey, but it's one of the best experiences I've had that will prepare me for the work I'm doing today. Yeah, and what, I mean, you're certainly learning how to be, learning what happens in that environment and also learning how to be sort of hyper-aware, constantly on alert is one thing. Beyond that, what did you walk away from that experience with that changed you, that sort of lets you look forward and say, okay, this is something that now I'm going to incorporate into whatever I do next? Well, I speak to a lot of young people. We have programs in the schools and all of that and often talk about, you know, I tell them, don't go to jail. Good advice for anybody. Yeah, it's not pretty because I work there and we check you in, you know, and give you a number and give you a, you know, a photograph of yourself and take your name away so you really have no identity. And then what we do is we strip search you, you know, so you're embarrassed and you lose your dignity because of that. And then you only have, you know, maybe you get one, one shower a week or, um, you know, you know, you're locked in to a cell that's really small. And then, you know, maybe you have a phone call every once in a while, whatever case it may be, or you're, you know, you can go to recreation for an hour a day sometimes, sometimes more depending on your level of incarceration. So, you know, and solitary is not pretty. You know, the food is not that great a lot of times. And you're dealing with people that uh, are predators, you know. So, so combining all of that together, 
you know, it's not what I learned was that, um, you know, you need to stay away from this place as far as you possibly can because it's not a great place to be. Yeah. I'm curious whether any of the seeds of your exploration of the importance of identity and self-discovery were planted in that experience, if you can make any connections. Yeah, it was planted in that experience because there's two kinds of identities. There's negative identity and there's positive identity. So a lot of times the prisoners were a part of everybody has their identity. Everybody has an identity. You can have a negative one or a positive one, and theirs were mostly negative. So if you had to line negative and positive up on a piece of paper and draw a line down the middle of that piece of paper, put negative on this side and positive on this side, they probably have more negatives on one side, on the left side, than they have positives on the right, which is why they're in prison in the first place. So your ability to be able to, again, nobody just goes to prison, you know, they go maybe over a long period of time, you look back in their records, and I had an opportunity to look back in their records, and you see this stuff started at 13 years of age. You know, and they just, it got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. So again, going back to negative and positive, you got more negatives on, on one side than you have on the other, and it started at early age. So the idea of, um, you know, learning about those experiences around identity is very tied to who you are. You are there because that's who you are. And until you can transform based on moving from negative to positive or from hate to love, then you'll probably go back and be a repeat offender. And I love to be able to, and I have uh, worked in some prisons uh, and halfway houses and all and all of that. And given the information to inmates and all, you know, so uh, it's been very well received and, but not continuous work. So um, I don't know how much of a difference I've made, you know, through that process, but uh, identity is the foundation for any kind of development, any kind of transformation, any kind of foundational groundwork or try foundational platform that you can build for yourself that allows you to now have something to focus on and develop. And that wouldn't make any difference whether you're in prison or anywhere else. The process of success is the same. When you find it, then you're able to achieve success based on what's possible for you as a human being. Yeah. And, and I think you and I are in complete agreement. I feel like, and I've heard you speak about this, you know, we we spend so much time in our experience in this country and in the educational system and we learn to be experts in X, Y, and Z and in this domain, in this process, in this industry, in this field, which can be useful, right? But there's not a similar structured process of learning who you are, of standing in that place where you understand what fills you up and what empties you out. You know, at least not in the sort of like traditional academic world and the, the things that we all go through as, you know, to check the boxes of becoming a, quote, fully formed adult. Um, you know, and it seems like a lot of what you've turned your energy to in the last couple of decades, really, is trying to fill that gap. Yeah, trying to help people figure out the process for success and how that works and use my own experiences as an example and also other people's experiences as a way to show that this is how you actually do it. 
Because what changed me was the fact that I realized, oh, the process of success is the same for everybody. Mm. It doesn't make a difference what color you are. It doesn't make any difference what your background is. It doesn't make any difference where you came from, how much money you had, how much money your parents had. The process is the same. It is finding your purpose in life, focusing on what you do well, practicing it so that you become an expert in your field, creating a vision beyond your circumstances so you can get beyond poverty, laying out a plan so you can consistently develop a plan for what you're going to do with your time, learning how to set goals, learning how to organize your life around yourself, feeling good about what you're doing, developing uh, a roadmap you know, that will allow you to align your goals and aspirations and your vision with where you want to go, deciding who you want to become, creating the image for what that looks like, you know, building, improving yourself every single day, growing, understanding the educational system and how to take that system and make it relevant to your development, you know, constantly learning and developing and building. Einstein said you cannot solve a problem with the same mindset to cause it. So you're constantly learning and reading having a learning system that you can organize and build and create and develop and shape so that you can disseminate content that's relevant to your development, your skill sets, your talents, your abilities, what you do well, being able to organize information in the world, in the global marketplace through technology, using technology as a foundation for your existence, being able to be consistent with that every single day based on the lifestyle, being able to create habits, live in the conscious and the unconscious, know the difference, becoming aware of where you are, becoming engaged, becoming present, you know, becoming what they say intentional in terms of what you want to accomplish, becoming focused and having a drive that's tied to your existence and not being able to quit. And every time you fall down, get back up. Yeah. And why don't you deconstruct a couple of those things? Um, yeah. the, the word that keeps popping into my mind as you're, as you're talking about all of them, though, is actually it's not a word, it's a phrase. It's, it's in relation, you know, because it, it feels like a lot of these things happen. You know, some of them are about internal process. Some of them are about contemplation, self-study, right? But a lot of that happens in relation to other individuals, in relation to the world, it feels like, you know, even in the earliest days, you know, we define ourselves. You know, I think the earliest identities that we step into are in relation to other people. You know, like we, my identity as a son is in relationship to a parent. My identity as a partner in life is in relationship to someone else or as a, a teacher is in relationship to students or colleagues. And I wonder for you, you know, like how much of, of your early exploration of these ideas came from internal work versus you exploring how you stepped into your own relationships or, you know, with identity um, internally and in relationship to others in your life? Well, all of it matters. All of us interconnected. And uh, again, I tell you, the learning has helped me so much, being able to learn and read and have a clear understanding of what's possible and putting that into perspective based on issues I have to deal with with family and relationships and, you know, working to try to manage all of it so you can create some work-life balance around all of it. And to me, that's very, very important. Work-life balance is long-term, it's not short-term, but it's putting all of those things in perspective based on 
having a vision, having a plan, building from the core of who you are, and figuring out how to balance all of that with all of the interconnected personalities and interconnected relationships and interconnected experiences that you deal with all the time. And putting all of the pieces of the puzzle together. What does the pieces of the puzzle look like? What do you want them to look like? And what do you have to create in terms of the pieces of the puzzle in order for it to be able to, you know, to be able to put it in place in terms of, you know, the image of yourself and where you want to go and who you want to become. Yeah. You used the phrase, you said work-life balance is long-term, not short-term. Tell me more about that. What do you mean by that? Well, work-life balance, you think you can go out and just get balanced? You can't. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Okay, so, yeah. you know, you do all of this, you have all of this together, but, you know, you doesn't happen, you know, in a short period of time. So if you want to create work-life balance, you have to create where you want to be. You know, you got to create the vision for work-life balance. You got to create the lifestyle that you want in the future. What is that going to look like? And then you got to build that. And you got to build that five years from now. You know, I mean, you got to build that. You got to build that five years before that actually happens. Is what I'm talking about. You know, if you want something in ten years to look like this, you got to. You know, it may take ten years for it to happen. May may be able to do it, do it sooner. But you got to visualize what you want your life to look like. Otherwise, when people talk about being in the moment, they're just in the moment. But they haven't created the moments that they want. So you're just reacting to everything without creating a guideline or a structure around it to determine what your life should look like based on what you want it to look like and based on what your talents are, what your abilities are, what your skills are to create and produce that. So that that's another kind of thinking. That's another kind of skill set. You know, anybody can just work, 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 work and create something and do something and build something. That's fine. But can does it have a structure around it? Does it is it global? Is it can you what's it take to create it? Uh, and you know, it's it's all based on what you believe about yourself. So I got to tie that to your belief about who you think you are. And do you have the tenacity and the determination and the perseverance and the knowledge to be able to create that? Do you have the image for that? You know, what's the, what's, what's the image look like? So all of those things are, you know, those are necessary to be able to, when you talk about work-life balance, uh, to put everything in place so it has a timeline to it, it has a... You know, it, it's segmented in part of your life. You can segment it based on what you're trying to do. So if you're doing podcasts, that's a whole work-life balance program right there. And then you got to fit that into your family. You got to fit that into travel. You got to fit. You got to figure out how to create balance around that. And then you got to have an economic base to go along with that. So work-life balance, you got to create that and you got to plan that. Yeah. So we all know that hiring and finding really great people is pretty challenging. And when you have a growing business, you don't have time for mistakes. And trust me, I have made mistakes. What's the old saying? Hire slow, fire fast. And honestly, the latter is not fun. So you need to do it right the first time. But there's one place that you can go where hiring is simple and fast and smart. A place where growing businesses connect 
to qualified candidates. Where is that? That place is ZipRecruiter.com slash good. So ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't just stop there with their powerful matching technology. ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. And as the applicants roll in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash good. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash G-O-O-D. ZipRecruiter.com slash good, or just click the link in the show notes. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. I mean, it's interesting also, you know, it's almost like the difference between working to work and working for something or working towards something. You know, one of my curiosities, so I know you talk to a lot of people and I know you're in and out of schools and talking to a lot of people who are sort of like younger and coming up in life, people who are also very steeped in technology, right? In who, who are digital natives, who are living and their minds are being shaped in a world where there's an expectation of instant in every part of their life whether it's, you know, instant responsiveness on text or whatever device there is, or the last stat I saw is like people who are now entering the workforce have an expectation that they'll be promoted at least once within the first 12 months on the job, if not sooner. And if they, they're not, there's something wrong, either something wrong with the job or something wrong with them. I'm curious, you know, in your conversations what you're in the world that we live in, when you look at how we're being wired to expect things to happen in the blink of an eye. And you know that sometimes it's going to take five years, 10 years to work to this place where things, like you're working towards this and there's no way to shortcut that. Technology isn't going to get you there. Like, how do you navigate that tension? Well, everything should be long-term. So everything should be set up to where this is what, if you had to pick your life and draw your life out or organize your life out, what would you want it to look like at the end? That's a very, very critical exercise. So you want to study vision and be able to figure out the highest possible vision for you based on the work that you do. And then you want to organize that. And you want to build from that. Because that's going to really make you happy. Uh, and then from there, you have your vision board, which allows you to organize every single thing you want to put in that vision board that will allow you to kind of pull all of the pieces together or create the puzzle so that you have the picture. And you want to tie that to each one of those things. You want to tie it to a vision board so that you have the opportunity to co-create, I call it, and the opportunity to cut and paste, and the opportunity to cross-pollinate. Cross-pollinate is probably a better word. To cross-pollinate all those things and have all those things relate to the core of who you are. Hmm. That's a strategy. Yeah, and you got to be able to think way out. you got to be able to think way yeah. out to actually do that. And you got to be able to build a strong enough core base that will hold all of that together without you breaking the mold and going somewhere else and all of that. So you got to be really clear 
and focus on what you should be doing. So if you're in the communication business, which you're probably in, communication media business, what does that look like in terms of your core base and how do you keep bringing all the things that you're doing back to that core base so it has some has some roots that will help the body of the work or the body of who you are grow and you're all going in the same direction and that's a fascinating process and if you can diversify an income base around that okay because you got to have diversification today right where you can build around communications as the as the foundational core base of what you do and then everything that is related to communications you know the internet the television radio uh, pictures, photographs, whatever the case may be, tie it to a business program, accounting, marketing, branding, uh, you know, staffing, operations, infrastructure, all of that technology. Now you've got something you can play with. You know, it's probably going to take you, take you to the next level. It's going to take you a long time to build that kind of thing. And you've got alliances, and you've got partnerships, and you've got distribution, you've got all those things that are relevant to you know, creating something that's special. Yeah, it's interesting. So, you know, you run your own consulting firm, you speak around the world, you write books, you're a leading voice in business and leadership. And to hear the word vision board come out of your mouth, you know, in a world where that phrase is much more normally associated with the world of personal development or even more of the, you know, like the softer world, like the woo world, the the different domain where um, people focus much more on a different approach to life to sort of like hear you using that phrase in the context of business and career and sort of like mainstream. Right, absolutely. It's an interesting reflection on your lens of, of really leadership also and redefining it. I mean, like your latest book, you know, on the surface, the title is Identity Leadership, right? But underneath the hood, like you open it and a couple pages in, you realize really quickly, you're not talking about essentially leading others. Like that, you know, you're talking about gaining leadership over yourself as the fundamental unlock tool for everything. It's a beautiful thing that you get there. You're so smart and so bright that it's just, you know, understanding the value that comes with operating from the core base of who you are and the energy that comes with that and the enthusiasm about your life and being able to tie that to a structural process, tie that to structure and tie that to environment and try to tie that to human development and tying that to, uh, you know, social economic and tying that to uh, strategy and tying that to, again, products and programs and all of that. It's a fascinating way to build it first. You know, if you follow the steps, the first step is you got to know who you are. The second step is you got to have a vision. Now, it takes a long time to kind of find that vision. Yeah, and not just for others, for you, for but yourself. For, yeah, for yourself, yeah. just vision for yourself. Right. And then to lay out the vision for it. And then, man, here comes the execution. You got to actually execute that. So, depending on how big your vision is, which will determine your value, determine your money, determine your opportunity, all of that. 
is determined by vision because vision kind of sets the tone for who you can possibly be. And a lot of times you have these big dreams, right? And you lock them into your vision. And if you're serious about them, you can accomplish them, but it's going to take you a long time. And then from there, once you at least get on the right track and realize, oh, I can actually mind map this program, create this vision board, organize the process and the business model, and now I need to execute it. And now I need to put in the people. Right. That's where they come in. Yeah. The yeah. people for making it happen. Right. But if you skip to that first, nobody follows, nobody gets on board, nobody rallies with you to create this thing. And I, my sense is that a big part of the reason is because you haven't done the work to create the alignment and the clarity and the sense of being, you know, that allows you to stand before other people and let them say, oh, I want to get on this train. Right. At least you have enough, it's beautiful that you have an, enough experience and, you know, which is why you're so successful with this, to break it all down and see it and know what actually works for you and know what makes it they're very successful for you in your style and your mannerisms and all of that. And you're able to, you know, create a vision of where you want to go with this. And you have to do your research to be able to do that before you actually do the interview. So you already know where you want to carry it and what it's going to look like. Because you got an hour and, you know, and you're organized in the stories and you're organized in the process and all that and kind of stuff. And then, you know, it's personal, it grabs people and, and you, you have a sense of that. So that, that says a lot about who you are, you know, in terms of having, being that astute and also self-aware, you know, so you, you have that. And, and, and isn't that the word, that, isn't that what it really all comes, I mean, you use the word self-actualization. Let's use right? the word consciousness. Right. Yeah. Raising consciousness. So which, which we're, we're trying to do with the platform and you're trying to do it with your book, but raise consciousness so that people are self-aware and that they realize, oh, there could be another world here. Just because I'm living in this, uh, you know, outside world and I'm focused on this, there's also, there could be an inside world. There could be something else that's deeper. You know, as I go deeper in the development of this work, it's going to create more opportunities, you know? So if you just act it out, you're limited in your opportunities. But when you go deep in the development of this, and you start breaking this down, you start organizing, you start organizing the pieces, and you organize those pieces, and you create additional revenue sources based on the other pieces because you've went deep. You know, it allows you now to really become an expert based on what you do because you outdistance 99% of the people who are, you know, living on the outside trying to, thinking that all the opportunities are on the outside when really it's on the inside. And if you can attach it to your core base of who you are, then you can go down to the pit and you can build it from the bottom and then you can begin to scale it up, you know? Uh, so I love that. I love that whole process. Yeah. And I, and it keeps circling back to, right. It's always like circling step, step ecosystem, and, right? <laughs> Everything cross It's like your cross-pollination. Cross-pollination, right? ecosystem, learning, yeah. creating opportunities, development, you know, other people, networking, you know, you know, all of it working together, an environment that creates the opportunity, which is why America is one of the greatest countries in the world, because you have an environment that you 
you know, that creates opportunities through a capitalistic system hmm. and a democracy. So you have the ability to be able to really make things happen here in the United States where you go to some other states that are failed states and failed governments. You don't even have to set up. You know, you might be put in jail for starting a podcast, you know, so you don't even have the opportunity. So it's, it's, it's just great that, um, you know, we live here, which is why, why so many people are trying to come here because of these systems and because the systems work and because we have structure and because we have strong infrastructure and because we have good streets and because we have good sidewalks and because we have stoplights that actually work, you know, and because we have fast food restaurants and restaurants and places we can go and, and hopefully clean water and all of that. Where does gratitude fit into this, this, your lens on, on, living a good life on being here on the planet on your, you know, th- so you've got nine things. You've got your own framework, right? Where does gratitude weave into this whole thing? The first step. Yeah. Yeah. It's love. So everything is love. And that's the gratitude. You keep going back to love. You'll get the gratitude. You'll get the humility. You'll get the strength. You'll get the ability to be able to weave in and out difficult situations. You'll overcome the fear only have one emotion at a time, you know, love or fear. I mean, you know, so you, you'll get that and you're able to kind of navigate and find out. The answers don't always come just because you want them to come. They just kind of show up. Man, life would be a lot easier yeah, if it did. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta, again, go down to the pit. If you go down to the pit, you know, and start at the, at the bottom and then move up, you know, there's a lot of answers that will appear based on that. And so it's wonderful to be able to have the uh, gratitude and be grateful because it opens up the opportunities like it opens up your, your hand. So if you have a fist and you tighten the fist up, and nothing in, nothing out. But gratitude is love. It's opening up. It's being grateful. It's opening up the opportunities for another opportunity to exist. Yeah. You, um, the conversation quite a while back, you brought up, I guess it was a store that you and your friends used to hang out with when you were a kid, and a guy named Mr. T.A. Mr. T.A., right. um, and how basically you know, there was a moment where he said, you're going to amount to nothing. You come from a family who's like not smart, who's not capable, right. and don't even think about it. And, and it sounds like a lot of your early years were, you know, granted, he's, he's just a representative of like a person who I'm sure like said similar things. You have a lot of early years were, it sounds like, fueled at least in part to prove that voice wrong. You're in a much different part of your life now, right? You're out there in the world. You have, you have built tools and experiences and companies and services and offerings and books that are doing good work, that are helping a lot of people. What's your why now? Is it, do you still have any remaining, I'm going to prove Mr. T.A. wrong, or is that completely in your past? And if so, what is the thing that wakes you up in the morning? Why are you doing the work you're doing in the world now? Well, number one, uh, I've just kind of, I feel like I'm starting. Hmm. You know, it's a learning all of this and building the model and being able to disseminate the identity leadership work that I'm doing and get that right and get the platform right. You know, it's taken all these years. So you, you might think I'm just, Hey, you know, you've created all this success, but actually I'm just beginning to 
understand how to disseminate this content. And then having the frame of mind so that I don't have to prove anything, I don't have to worry about what Mr. T.A. said or anything like that, that's, that's great. And to be able to figure out how to organize this so it becomes a part of a systemic process to deliver the content that's relevant to self-actualization and self-development and self-empowerment. It takes a long time. Yeah. It takes a long time to do that if you do it right. Now, if you just want to make money or you want to do something quick, you know, they find something else to do. Yeah. This is not it. You know, so but of guess- course we'll do fine and eventually we'll this thing will you know, be exactly what I want it to be because I work so hard building it from the ground up and it takes time to do that, you know, so uh, God willing. And so you just keep working and working and working and working until it comes together. Yeah. But I guess my deeper question is, why does this matter? You're, you're giving up a lot of your life to do this. Why? Like, why does I'm this matter so much to you? I'm giving up all my life. Yeah. All of my life. To why? What, what's underneath that? What's, why is this so important to you? Well, it's important because it's important to be able to help somebody else get it. And it's important to develop a system that will support, you know, this kind of work. School system, you know, educational system, American Free Enterprise system social systems, you know, that will actually help people contribute more to our country and to our world so they'd be better corporate citizens and better community citizens and, you know, so they they don't have the same kind of, you know, they can maintain a strong family based on the mentality and based on understanding how it works, raise the tax base, increase opportunity, all of that, you know, basically being a a contributing member based on their performance. So to me, that's, all of that's worthwhile to, you know, to sacrifice whatever I have to sacrifice to get other people uh, there based on what I discovered for myself. Hmm. And so I'm just the conduit. I'm just the, you know, the manager or the person that just, tries to drive it so somebody's got to drive it and they're always a thing about leadership leadership is so powerful because leadership first of all is rare and what it takes to be a leader it's a lot of work and a lot of sacrifice and a lot of learning and it takes a lot of talent development and a lot of focus on what you do well so you can lead in your category what lebron you know, has done in order to be a leader in this category, and more so Michael Jordan, who's, you know, who's been a leader in this category. Who Michael Jordan is, and I talk about Tom Brady, who Tom Brady is, and what it's taken for them to be who they are. These, these guys have sacrificed all of their life to be able to, um, you know, be at the top of their game. And if they want to get into something else, they got to they gotta put the same amount of time into it. They switch to another career, they got to put the same amount of time into it, the same practice time. They got to start all over. They got to prove themselves, everything else, because the process is the same for every single thing. But 
to be able to, uh, in the end, look back and say, man, I've, I've, uh, I've done a great job. I mean, that's, that's, that's what you want to be able to do. Man, this feels like a good place for us to come full circle too. So if we, so we sit here in this studio, Good Life Project, if I offer up the phrase, to live a good life, what comes up? To live a good life is to be at peace. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks also to our fantastic sponsors who helped make this show possible. You can check them out in the links we have included in today's show notes. And while you're at it, if you've ever asked yourself, what should I do with my life? We have created a really cool online assessment that will help you discover the source code for the work that you're here to do. You can find it at sparkatype.com. That's S-P-A-R-K-E. T-Y-P-E.com or just click the link in the show notes. And of course, if you haven't already done so, be sure to click on the subscribe button in your listening app so you never miss an episode. And then share, share the love. If there's something that you've heard in this episode that you would love to turn into a conversation, share it with people and have that conversation. Because when ideas become conversations that lead to action, that's when real change takes hold. See you next time.